You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right. Welcome into Not Your Average Bears postgame show. I am Bill Zimmerman. Excited to be joined by this guy. We have not had a chance to do a podcast yet together, so I am looking forward to it. He is Mason West. Of course, you know him from Bear Bones on Thursday evenings live on the Windy City, on the Second City Gridiron YouTube channel. And, and of course, he's joined every week by Danny Meehan. But, you know, great with injuries, great with Bears insight, and a great day to have him on. We'll see if uh, he has any insight on the, maybe what's going on with Justin Fields. But he joins me now. Mason, Bill Zimmerman, how you doing? Not too bad. You know, really thought coming on here it was going to be a different vibe. Was pretty sure that the Bears were going to look different, if not actually come away with the win. But, you know, they Bears did up as normal. Yep, they, they keep finding new ways to lose and... This one was definitely flat. So, so let's kind of progress through this and let's let's start with the quarterback play because I think that's where you know the sensible place is to start. You know, I, I was looking forward to this game. I, I was the actually the only one on Windy City Gridiron that picked the Vikings to win, and I'm certainly not trying to to pat myself on the back. But what I did think we were going to have was a game that had some fun offense. You know, I, I didn't trust Matt Eberflus's defense against Kirk Cousins which is never a sentence you really want to say out loud, but that's the truth. I thought with the way the Vikings, I knew Brian Flores was going to blitz a lot, but you know that's more to try and cover up the warts of his defense. I thought Justin Fields was going to have some success, but even, you know, let's talk about Justin Fields' performance before the injury. Uh, you know, just very, you know, blah. You know, I, I don't know the right word here, just not a lot from Justin today. You know, misread a couple blitzes and got hit pretty hard. Had to rely on his legs a lot more. You know, I, I think the the blocking let him down. I think some of the the plays that Getzy was calling up. You know, a lot of screens, a lot of short stuff. Again, I didn't like that either. You know, it's always tough to really get a full gauge as to what was wrong with the offense, so we have a chance to kind of watch it and look at the the coaches' tape. But from the broadcast view, Mason just. You know, just one of those games from Justin Fields that you just wished you got a little bit more out of him. Yeah, I mean, right from the jump, right? First play on offense, he gets blasted uh, on the backside. Now, kind of like you were alluding to, what was the issue there? Because usually, you know, there's not enough people to block. There's six guys on the line, five linemen. Justin has to know there's someone that's going to be uncovered. It seemed like they expected uh, off the edge there on that left side. But also the setup is weird because normally, you know, if Justin's first reads the right, you want that player that you're reading the first one off the edge in his line of vision at the same time. So, you know, is it a Justin issue? Is it a scheme issue? Honestly, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag on that. He was able to get some stuff going on the ground, which usually when he does that, he can start to heat up. But he just never really got settled in. Even the run game was suffering from the beginning, which actually seemed like it opened up a little bit later in the game. But overall, just just rough and like you said it's going to be ultimately hard until we can look back and see what did those routes look like downfield was he missing open guys like we've seen in the first second week were guys not getting open what's the scenario there yeah and there, there was one play that was highlighted on the broadcast where dj moore was open where potentially fields would have could have gotten him but again all quarterbacks miss guys from time to time what but you know you're kind of talking about the scheme and and the edge and the, and the free release players and things like that and 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 here's the thing, and 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 this is where you know someone that has X's and O's and knows the full scale better than me, you know, I, I'd want to talk to about because we keep seeing this, and I understand it's part of the play call that in certain things, like like on Justin's naked boots, that 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 edge is, you know, he's got to beat that edge to the outside to make the play. Like I I get that, and and on this play here, like the the first play of the game, you know, there was. As far as I could tell, Larry Borum went the direction of the entire offensive line. Like, they went that way. But what, what's clearly happening is whether Justin's missing it or whether the defense is reading it so well based on how the offense is lining up, which would be a Getze issue, when they're left 
free, when those edges are left free, they are causing total havoc on these offensive plays on a regular basis. And again, maybe some of those are, are Justin's issues. Maybe they're, they're Getzy's issues, but it's a consistent issue that whosoever issue it is, you gotta, you gotta tighten it up. Well, and not just that, right. You go to then the next play where they do this little pitch toss over to Darrington Evans. First of all, you know, why not run it with Foreman? Second of all, why are we going laterally so much on a team that's very aggressive getting upfield right now? You know, later in the game, yes, some of those more lateral plays worked, but now all of a sudden, because that tackle happens in the backfield, you know, you're just sitting at this huge deficit that you're having to overcome. And no offense to Justin, I don't necessarily want him having to operate from a third and whatever that was, 20, 21, something of that yeah. nature. So, you know, to me, it also tends, it seemed like it got away from what works the last couple weeks. How many times did you see the pocket move? You know, I, I don't think I saw it very often. It was a lot of three, five-step straight dropbacks, trying to read one, two, three. And that's just not really where Justin is right now, or maybe ever will be. And that's and that, and that was actually going to be the next thing I brought up, was where were some of the things we saw Luke Getze do the last couple weeks? Moving the pocket. So, some of these things that we've... Honestly, a lot of us have been screaming about the first three weeks of the season was why why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And this play call, these play calls, this you know game plan from the offense was a lot more in line with what we saw through weeks one through three than what it was with weeks four or five. I mean, Justin was flat in the pocket, you know, straight drops almost every time when he did move around. Most of the time it was because he was flushed. It wasn't designed. And, and it's just, it's again you know and that's the thing like we can sit here and say Justin didn't play well and he absolutely did not play well this was not you know what you after what we saw the last two weeks this is not the way we wanted to see Justin Fields play but again why is Luke Getze resorting back you know reverting back to things that he did three weeks ago is just mind-boggling to me it's it seems it's almost like Getze thinks like this is truly what an NFL offense should be and you know whether that's true or not you have to understand who you have to work with who's your quarterback what's your offensive line things of that nature and he just refuses to be malleable it's he just def whether it's a frustration thing on his end where again he thinks this on offense should work whether it's a lack of creativity like he can't come keep continuing to come up with some of these moving concepts it, it's inf incredibly frustrating as you know a fan it's incredibly frustrating as someone that wants the bears and justin to succeed you know the and ultimately, I'm concerned about what that's going to be down the road, right? And I think there's a reason why we'll get to that in a little bit, why I think Bajit may have looked a little bit better, you know, in the short time that he had was because I think that fits a little bit more traditionally what Getsy wants, which seems to be this pocket passer. It's truly just three-step drop, stick it, throw it. And, and this is what gets really frustrating is when you have players – you know, and let's let's stick with quarterbacks here. When you can identify their strengths, and we can go all the way back to Mitch Trubisky, and I'm not going to bag on Mitch Trubisky, but we know what Mitch's strengths were, right? It's the same kind of thing. You needed to move the pocket around. You needed to cut the field in half. You couldn't give Mitch Trubisky, you know, four reads, five reads, whatever it was, and have him throw the football. You needed to simplify things for Mitch. Matt Nagy continued to refuse to do that. Finally, when he put Bill Lazor in there, Bill Lazor did some things. And in, what was it? It was 2020 when Mitch went on that heater in December for like three weeks. And again, they weren't great defenses, but Bill Lazor was building an offense that fit Mitch Trubisky's skills better. And I don't understand when, like we see, you know, Greg Roman come in and create an offense for Lamar Jackson. Did it have limitations? Of course it had limitations, but he looked at what Lamar Jackson's skill set was and he created an offense for it. You know, Mike McDaniel is getting guys wide open. He is fitting what Tua can do and he is making an explosive offense with it. Of course, Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill are certainly going to help, but you know, he's using speed, getting guys open and creating things that Tua can do on the field. I don't understand why we as a franchise cannot find coaches that don't sit there and go, I'm running my defense, I'm running my offense, whatever it might be. I am not going to evolve and fit it to the personnel skill sets that are on my roster. It is a continued problem with this Bears franchise. And today, watching Luke Getze, it certainly felt like we were going, when he finally was doing things, to help Justin and utilize Justin's skills more. It was the same thing last year where the offense was terrible and Luke Getzey said, you know what, we're just going to let Justin just let it rip, run, just use his athleticism, and they started scoring points. Now, the rest of the roster wasn't good enough, so they were losing games, whatever it was, 45 to you know 35, whatever it was. But 
Now we're seeing the same thing where you finally get some things going for Justin and you're going back to things that you did, you know, screen after screen after screen today. We, we had seen almost no screens. Just the, the going back to apparently, like like you said, how Luke Getzey apparently wants to run things. Like he tried to run against the Packers. He was doing it more today. Just very frustrating. I think it almost goes back to it in a way. You got a great interview with Josh Lucas, and he talked about for the quarterback position how you need to have you know static versus dynamic, crystallized versus fluid intelligence. The same thing can be said about these coaches. And are you looking for that when you're interviewing for your head coach, when you're interviewing for your offensive or yeah. defensive coordinators? You know, can you within a week? Can you within a day? Within a quarter? Right? Change and be malleable to what's in front of you. And right now, it seems like. Luke gets he's not that he can't do that. And that's even a concern, I would say, going back into, again, the interview process. Luke gets he didn't call plays in Green Bay, and now you're asking him to call plays. That's been a problem. How What was he in charge of when he was in Green Bay, right? Was he in charge of creating a dynamic flowing offense, or was he simply the red zone guy? Was he simply the, you know, the, the run game guy? Those are the things you have to be able to pull out and tease and get when you're looking at these, these, guys, these individuals. And right now, how do you do that? The people in the top, whether you're talking about this committee that went in, was in charge of hiring the GM, the head coach, the da-da-da-da-da. What does that look like? And you know, another layer to that's really interesting is, as far as I can know, there's not really a connection between Eberflus and Getze. So how well do they really know each other? How does that process go? That's a question that I have. And ultimately, something that has to change as we're moving forward, because as of right now, this coaching staff ain't it. Yeah, and and we're gonna get to the coaching staff because because I agree with you. It's just it's a just another game where they just just left a lot of things on the field. The players were going above the schemes to try and make the few plays that were made. This 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 coaching staff just continues to struggle. But but before we get to that and a couple other things, you know, let's let's talk about the injury here before we move over to Beige and kind of do this linearly here with the quarterbacks. So Fields, obviously, you know, we saw he got he he got taken down, comes out of the game. And I'll be honest, you know, and, and I'm coming from a place of no knowledge. So everyone listening, I want you to know that I am have no medical background at all. My thought was when he got ruled out, because, you know, the only thing they can do at the stadium is x-ray. When he got ruled out almost immediately, and and, and it's got tweeted out that, that he was not going to return. To me, I assume that meant that there was something that came up on the x-ray, that there was some kind of break and that they knew he wasn't going to come back in. But then we find out after the game, Matt Eberflus uh, in his, his post-game press conference said that the x-rays were negative. Now, beyond that, we don't have any other information as to what's going on with this injury. So, so Mason, I guess I'll, guess I'll ask you, like what potential kind of soft tissue injury could be going on in the hand there? And how can you rule someone out so quickly with, with something like that? At the end of the day, and I'll answer your last question first, it could have been as simply, can he hold a football, right? Like, so if you, they did the x-ray, they say, all right, here, Justin, throw me the ball, and he just can't get a good grip on it. You know, the, the spiral isn't there. The strength isn't there. You're not going to play if you can't do that. It doesn't make sense just to have someone that's going to hand off the ball, especially against what, what this team needs from him is his big arm and in his deep ball accuracy. So that honestly could be a reason why he was ruled out as quickly as he was, just functionality. And I had the same impression as you did when I first saw the injury. Uh, the mechanism was a little funky. Is it exactly your traditional fracture mechanism? No. But again, when you get ruled out that quickly, that's the biggest concern. And now, could there still be some stuff there that is still leading to that thumb weakness that I think may have been present, ultimately leading to be out of the game? Absolutely. So, for example, an avulsion fracture, you may not fully see necessarily uh, the the actual a break there it just might be this amorphous kind of just some swelling in there but you're still not going to have use of that thumb because with an avulsion fracture the tendon can no longer pull on the thumb and create that strength you need so now that's why they're going to the mri because ultimately an x-ray doesn't show the soft tissue it really doesn't show swelling very well mri should highlight if there's you know, a tear within one of the muscles the, te uh, the tendons the ligaments something of that nature that would make him be unable to operate as a quarterback so, and let me just kind of ask you this, with, with soft tissue injuries in the hand like this, this is the type of thing where there could be no structural issue. And like you said, it was just too painful for him to grip a football and he could be back next week, or he could be out, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever it might be with a more significant injury. Is, are we looking at right now? Is it that, 
you know, as we speculate, and again, I stress speculate, we know nothing other than the fact that the x-rays on the hand were negative. Is, is that the kind of the range we're looking at right now? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the unfortunate part when it comes to more of the soft tissue stuff, again, whether you're talking about muscle tendon ligament, is that you have to put grades to it, right? Grade one is, you know, low key, grade two, a little bigger, grade three is a partial tear, grade four is a complete. And anywhere you fall in that spectrum is going to change things. Now, acuteness matters, right? Like you said, it happened today, right away, a lot of pain, a lot of swelling that could prevent you from being able to hold throw a football. But within a week, you could be back, you could be functional you maybe just need a little bit of a splint on that thumb in order to give it some stability if it's something a little bit bigger you're looking at a much longer timeline here now again if there is like a more of a grade three or grade four and that's something that knocks you out a good example of that compare contrast right justin last year had that ac joint sprain we're still going to consider that soft tissue because you're not you're not breaking the bone or anything it's affecting you know a, a ligament and he was able to come back after a couple weeks out compare that to anthony richardson who likely is going to be having season ending injury same joint totally different timelines interesting so at, at this point look all, all we can say is we hope justin gets back as soon as possible just for honestly our enjoyment as bears fans and his health and making sure he's out there but as of right now we're just going to have to wait and we'll hear something from the bears here in the next couple of days because i'm sure they're going to run plenty of tests and, and and figure this out but you know regardless right now fields was out did miss the rest of the game and tyson bajan did come in. Let's, you know, we, we'd be remiss if we did not talk about Bajan here for a little bit because, look, he did some nice things on the field. And I am not going to sit here. First of all, this is what I'm going to say. In no means, this, in no way possible does Tyson Bajan, I don't care if he had a touchdown drive, that was nice. In no way possible does Tyson Bajan give this team a better chance to win if he is on the field than Justin Fields. That is not anywhere even if he does a couple things better than fields the things he doesn't do as good as fields are woefully less so there you know he did have the nice drive he made a couple nice plays on there but he made two horrendous decisions with the football that you would expect an undrafted free agent from a division two college to make in his debut and he and he cost the bears dearly with with, with those couple decisions so you know overall for who Tyson Bajan is, I thought his debut was was pretty darn good. You know, I you know I was not when Tyson Bajan came in and had to try and rally the Bears to a victory. I didn't expect it to happen. I saw some positives because for me, Tyson Bajan is is auditioning for backup quarterback. Can he be the backup? Whether Justin Fields is here or whether they make decisions, you know, after this season to change, Tyson Bajan is auditioning to remain the Bears QB two. And I think his overall debut was pretty solid in that regard, but I certainly am not seeing Mason, some guy who is going to turn into Tony Romo by 2024. No, absolutely not. I mean, I think he played exactly like you'd expect for someone who's a division two quarterback who, I mean, listing off some of his stats, right? He played 53 games, attempted over 2000 passes, 1400 yards, 68 ish percent completion percentage and 159 touchdowns to 48 interceptions. That's a great combination of stats for a division two quarterback and again, undrafted free agent coming in. That's just how you kind of expect him to play. He's a very good see open guy, throw open guy, or even maybe with a little bit of anticipation, but he just doesn't have a big enough arm to ultimately be a long-term NFL starter. He doesn't, he's got a little bit of some quickness, right? He's got, he's got some legs. He's not a statue back there, but we saw on the one read he had where he pulled it and ran, he almost fell on his face. He was able to keep his legs and he ran for three, four <laughs> yards on that. And it was like, great. You got this positive game, but he's not the explosive athlete. Justin Fields is either. Of course. Or ultimately any of these other quarterbacks are hoping you would be your long-term answer. So like you said, great. Love you in a pinch. You know, your quarterback has to sit for a series, maybe a week or two hold, you know, keep the ship tight, but he should not be your long-term answer. And he's not ultimately going to be that for the Bears. So you're also kind of hoping at this stage that maybe he doesn't steal you too many games while Justin's out. Yeah, I mean, look, and and as like you, I think you summarized a lot of what Tyson, the positives and the negatives, you 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 summarized it well. And I think overall for for this this kid, if Fields is going to miss a few games, he's going to get an opportunity to play here. There's no point to go to Nathan Peterman. You may as well see what you have with Tyson Bajan. And again. Can Tyson Bajan beat the Raiders potentially? Sure, the Raiders are not a good football team. If Justin's out a long time, could he potentially beat the Panthers in a few weeks? Sure, he could He could potentially do that. So, you know, there's going to be opportunities for him to get a victory. But again, I, I want Bears fans to make sure they don't get caught up. Like if, if he 
wins now if if he plays and and the bears win next week that this is some you know magical you know tyson bajan ride that we're all going to get on here and he's going to rally this team for the season that's that's not the type of situation he's in right now as a quarterback he's just if he's going to get reps that's all it is it's reps for him to grow and continue to get better and i think it's important for bears fans to stay level-headed and keep expectations where they should be this is again. This is not someone you know. Tony Romo is is that I bring up Tony Romo because he's really the only guy that I can think of this century that was an undrafted free agent as a quarterback and went on to have a very successful career. Like that's that's how rare it is. That's why I bring up Romo when I when we do the comparisons to Bajan. Again, he was a very small school guy was sat behind quarterbacks for a couple of years, got his opportunity and, and performed well. So if Tyson Bajan ever develops that well, which is you know, 1% chance that he ever gets that good. It's not going to be as a rookie. He is going to take time. And when I say time, years to try and learn the NFL, have his speed and his clock catch up to where it needs to be. Yeah, he gets through his, you know, uh, he gets through his reads pretty quickly. I saw a couple times, you know, it looked like he checked out two, three reads before he dumped the ball off. You like to see that he progresses through things quickly, which to me is a great uh, attribute to have as a backup quarterback, right? Backup quarterback is a game manager. And if the game manager can get through the reads quickly, get the ball off, even if it's short passes, you know, we saw Bajan try and throw the ball down the field a couple times. The arm's not great. He, you know, he did complete one of them, but, you know, it was, you know, for lack, you know, I, I don't like using the term, but, you know, a hospital ball to DJ Moore. He just, Ooh, yeah. he just let DJ get crushed on that. That's why Bajan, has like limitations. He doesn't have that deep ball accuracy, even trying to get the ball to Tyler Scott. Tyler Scott had to come literally back 20 yards to get that ball for a four yard gain. So we we see the limitations with Bajan, but smart quarterback gets the ball out quickly. Most of the time, that's an ideal attribute for a backup quarterback. Like if things were different and the bears were leading when he came in, you sit there and say, that's the type of quarterback that can maintain a lead. That's the type of quarterback that if your starter misses two or three games, he can come in and go one and two or two and one in those three games and not let you go 0 and three and get you buried until your quarterback comes back. That's what I see from Bajan right now. And that's that's great. That's a big positive if he can be that type of guy. But don't expect more than that. Yeah, and I'm glad you used Tony Romo. And I had to look this up because I had to double check. He only appeared in six playoff games and he only won two of those six. So I'm not in this as a Bears fan for a couple of playoff appearances. Uh, you know, the consolation trophy of winning a division. Division. I don't. I don't care. I want Super Bowls. I think I mentioned this in you know a group that we, we've talked in before, where I don't. I will give. I have five losing seasons, literally over. If I in that sixth season, I can have a Super Bowl. That's ultimately it. And you don't get that with a Tony Romo-esque quarterback because you need everything to be perfect around that quarterback. Your defense has to be great. The weapons have to be top, and you need a couple lucky bounces to help you out. You really need that. Kaiju monster, Patrick Mahomes, right? Jalen Hurts is kind of ish getting into that level. Josh Allen, you know, their their offense is amazing right now. That's who you ultimately need. And I don't want to get, be stuck in the middle. Even if Bajan becomes a Tony Romo, like you said, which is a very low percent chance, I don't need that. And in my opinion, this Justin Fields injury is one of the worst things that can happen for this bear season. Oh, it's terrible. Because ultimately, I wanted answers. As I just wanted as much information, I want as much statistics as I can on Justin to say, okay, this is where he is, or this is ultimately the quarterback he's going to be. And we don't have that now. You know, now he's going to miss three, four games. Now you have less data. And so now all of a sudden, let's say he comes back and we strings together a couple more week, uh, four, week five performances. Is that enough for you now to, to say anything about him? And the answer is, you know, if he misses three, four weeks, the answer is probably no. Yeah, it's it's going to be a tough situation. So again, we'll we'll wait with everyone else and see what the uh, what the prognosis here with Justin, and just you know cross our fingers and hope that if he is going to miss any time, it's just a game or two, and he can be back as quickly as possible. I want to talk a little bit about the rest of the offense, but before I do, for those of you listening live, thank you. We appreciate you. But if you've got any comments, questions, anything, make sure you drop them in the comments section. We will get to those here towards the end of the podcast. So, you know, make sure you, you know, you vent with us because that was that was frustrating on so many levels to see this team play the way they did after, you know, and I know that fourth quarter against Denver was rough, but seven of the last eight quarters, this team played really well and it was tough to see them string that together, you know, for, for four quarters. That was tough. But, you know, 
in terms of the rest of the offense, it's really tough to kind of comment on the receivers based on kind of how much the passing game. It was nice to see DJ Moore get into the offense a little bit late in the game, but, you know, it was tough for him to get involved. You know, Darnell Mooney had, had a nice, nice game, but we still need to see Darnell get involved more. But again, when the passing offense is where it is, which was literally 113 yards on 24 passes, uh, you know, you're just you're just not going to be able to talk about the receivers too much. But the running game was effective. 36 carries, 162 yards, four and a half uh, yards per carry. You know, De- Deontay Foreman did pretty well filling in here, considering how you know how down they were with no Roshan, no Homer, and of course no Khalil Herbert. And you know, Darrington Evans for who he is played pretty well. They got Bayless involved on a couple runs that that were fairly effective. So the ball they ran the ball pretty well. And the offensive line, the run blocking seemed to be pretty well. A couple of things got blown up, but the pass blocking, Mason, from the offensive line really struggled today. They had a lot of issues. I think there were some some scheme issues. Like you 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 can't have Deonta Foreman trying to block Daniel Daniel Hunter one on one, and that's what led to a led to a turnover because he literally got blasted back into the quarterback. Like. You've got to be smarter than that. I mean, this goes back to like 2021, the Matt Nagy awful game against the Cleveland Browns. And we put that on Nagy. It's the Matt just leaving guys out to dry against Miles Garrett and, and, and it was I think it was clowny. Like terrible, terrible game planning. You you've got to be smarter on the offensive line in terms of what you're asking him to do, what you're asking, who you're asking running backs and tight ends to block. So that certainly played into it, but a lot of other struggles along the offensive line as well, especially with pass blocking. Oh, yeah. I mean, the pass blocking was absolutely horrendous. And then, you know, factor in, you know, the snapping issues, you know. Yeah, well, I, I, I need to Cody next. <laughs> like, because when you said offensive line, I couldn't help but just go right in my brain to Cody Whitehair. And I, it's, you can go back to the offseason and talk about, you know, what, what's the thought process and it was a good idea to be depending on, Lucas Patrick at center, Cody Whitehair at center, having whatever that combination ultimately was going to be. But, you know, they're, they're a sieve all day long. And like you said, the scheme was an issue. Like, I love Deontay Foreman's running, but as you said, his pass blocking left a lot to be desired. There were multiple times where he just got worked. I thought there was going to be a lot more 12 personnel, more chipping, and I get even that too. I appreciate the thought process of, hey, I got to get out of my route, but there were too many times where the back would go chip. And their person is who ended up getting the sack, the tackle, whatever. You gotta actually make an impact. And if they can't do that, then you can't have them leak out and be be that outlet. You need first things first, keep your quarterback upright. Second off, like I'm sure, like you said, you're gonna get to the entire play is thrown off if the snap is at your shins, if it's up, up almost above your head. It's just lucky that Bajan's as tall as he is and that Justin's as athletic as he is to be able to corral a lot of those those snaps. And then you had Luke's Patrick get going in there once Whitehair got benched, and it wasn't really all that much better. And also, why are you trading for Feeney if you're just not going to have him be an option at this point? Because this is not going to work. Yeah, and, and you know, center is exactly where I was going to get next. I just want to bring up this one stat here really quick. Uh, combine, the, the Vikings defense, five sacks. We don't know pressures yet. Five sacks and eight quarterback hits. I mean, you get your quarterbacks hit 13 times in the span of a game that you are going to get an injury that, I mean, you just, you just can't have that type of performance from the offensive line Were there times the fields hold on to the ball too long. A couple of times that Bajan do it once or twice. Absolutely. I'm not saying that everything's on the offensive line, but there were problems up and down that up and down those blocking and those protection schemes all game long. And like you said, when we're talking about center, we, you know, and I talked about this, you know, a couple of weeks ago that, you know, you're just going to have to, you know, cringe when Cody's snapping the ball and hope it, it gets to Justin in between the numbers, high snaps, low snaps. It, it's just, you can't have this from, from your center on a regular basis. This is the NFL. This is not high school. You you don't even expect this. You expect better snaps from a center and, and, and a good high school football team than, than what Cody Whitehair puts out there. And, and again, I don't understand, you know, why Dan Feeney. And again, you want to sit there as fans and go as a six round pick, who cares? But you can't give up capital for nothing. And I think Dan Feeney has had two, two snaps on offense for the entire season. That's it. Like, we're, we're now six games into this thing. It's not like we're two weeks in. Cody Whitehair, Lucas Patrick is awful. He is His, his blocking has been dreadful the, the first month of the season. What, you know, Jenkins comes back, Whitehair slides over. We see things get better, and then you just hope Whitehair can snap. So then when you decide to bench Whitehair because the snaps are so poor today – 
where is Dan Feeney? And is he that bad in practice that it's already a sunk cost? Because you need to try something else. And I'm not saying that Dan Feeney is an all pro. I expect Dan Feeney to be very mediocre if he does get an opportunity to play. But here's what I know. I know Lucas Patrick has failed at center, and I know Cody Whitehair is failing at snapping the football. So next man up is Dan Feeney. Give the man an opportunity to see if he can play. Maybe things improve. Maybe if they don't, but at least we'd have an answer. And, you know, next guy up might have to be uh, 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 Illinois. Doug Kramer. Yeah, Kramer yeah. yeah, like this is this is where we're at because, you know, you can sit here and, and Nate Davis is, is now banged up. So, you know, it could be Jatiri Carter for a while here. But when you have right and you have some of these guys in place and you see improvement from the offensive line and it's not there from center, we absolutely need to have an answer at center because it doesn't look like it's feet or it doesn't look like it's it's Patrick and it doesn't look like it's white hair. So it's time to give other people an opportunity to see if they can perform there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like you said, it, what is happening at practice, <laughs> the fact that Afini can't get a nod, that a Kramer maybe can't get a look. Um, is it just hey, we're paying white hair this much, or he means like this is what he means to our locker room or offensive line in terms of communication? There's got to be something else going on there. And if not, I'm going to take this step further. That's when you think about what, what's going on with Chris Morgan, your offensive line coach. What is he looking at? What is he seeing that ultimately he isn't able to see what, in theory, what we're seeing when the product on the field? Because the product isn't good. Yeah. And, you know, and you, you referenced the interview I did with Josh Lucas. You know, one thing he brought up because I asked him because I thought that regime, especially on defense, developed a lot of day three players, right? Bilal Nichols was, was an impactful guy. Roy Robertson Harris was a UDFA impactful guy. And, and I asked him kind of, you know, how much does positional coaching play into that? And he said it absolutely can. And he brought up Jay Rogers who left, I believe with Brandon Staley when, when Brandon Staley went and become the defensive coordinator or the head coach of the chargers, but Jay Rogers developed, helped develop Akeem Hicks into a monster, helped Eddie Goldman really have, have a three-year dominant stretch as a nose tackle, developed Bilal Nichols, developed Roy Robertson Harris. You had just dynamite guys at, at, on the defensive line, even if they were late picks and didn't have a lot of expectation because Jay Rogers was a guy that helped develop these guys. And we're not seeing that. And this isn't just on, on, on Eberflus. This is a lot of naggy. You know, we, we kind of have seen this over the last six, seven years. We have not seen a lot of guys outperform expectations. We have not seen, you know, Darnell Mooney, okay, fifth round pick and has, has, has become a, you know, a, a contributor. They're, I'm not saying they don't exist, but we certainly haven't seen it consistently. And we definitely haven't seen it along the offensive line, Braxton Jones aside. So I, I'm with you, like Chris Morgan, just like, you know, Juan Castillo and all of them before, how much are they doing to help develop these players? Because you need to have depth on your offensive line. It's critical. We, we see it every year, not just because Tevin Jenkins is, is injury prone. I hate to use that term, but, but he is. And, and, you know, but you're not going to have your starting five on the offensive line play 17 games together. It's too violent in there. They're going to get banged up. You need to have depth. You can't have depth through free agency and, and day one and day two picks. Your depth on the offensive line has to come through developing day three picks. And we have consistently seen that the Bears just do not do that on a regular basis. Oh, absolutely not. And you look at some of the most successful teams. I mean, look at the Eagles, right? They're, they win in the trenches, and that's why they're as successful as they are on both sides of the ball. You know, And I was willing to give polls a bit of a break in that first year because there's so many holes to fill and they, there's a big big tear down you know then you're just throwing darts at a wall with fifth six round picks to try to get some degree of depth and hope you'll hit on someone but now you're moving into this next year where it says okay we got to start to try to become competitive and clearly that that just isn't the case when it comes to the offensive line you know you're depending on veterans who are the cody whitehair who is older who has been injured and who is losing a step you're depending on you know these backups like a Chachari Carter to hopefully develop and become something. But, you know, we've seen glimpses of him. He's been okay. Nothing terrible, nothing amazing. Where are those? Right? I mean, the Packers are another great example. They just seem to Perfect have example. offensive linemen fall out of the sky into their laps. And you have uh, Tom, who's like actually very good for them. And someone I wanted for the bears in that process. So, you know, we just keep moving up the, the chain of like, who's to blame for these things. You know, whether it's the players, you go to, you talk, you talk about Chris Morgan. Now you also need to talk about polls and the decisions he's making in both free agency and the draft. 
yada, yada, yada. It's all bad. Yeah, and here's the thing, and it's not just quarterback because we hear that all the time. Well, you can't have the quarterback, this quarterback come to Chicago will ruin him. But that's the thing, like Zach Tom. Would Zach Tom be this good in Chicago? I, I don't know, maybe, but it certainly doesn't feel like it. And, and I hate that argument. Well, if we got this player, they would stink. But I have a hard time finding a way to argue against it because it happens year in and year out that we're just not seeing these guys guys develop. And it certainly comes down to coaching. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And let's let's talk about coaching here for a little bit. And you know, I, I tweeted something out right before the post game show that since George Hallis, you know, retired from coaching for good, you know, Hallis throughout his tenure there with the Bears over literally fifty five years coaching, you know, would take breaks and not coach for three, four, five years, and someone else would come in and coach for a few years, and he'd get back on the sidelines. But nineteen sixty seven was his final year coaching the Chicago Bears. Since then. There have been 12 head coaches of the Chicago Bears, and only three of them have had career-winning records in Chicago. You all know them well. It's Mike Ditka, Lovey Smith, and Matt Nagy. And I know how much this fan base loathes Matt Nagy, and he's literally one of three guys in the last 55 years to have a winning record in Chicago. And that's the thing, like, even if you throw, oh, well, 2018 was all Vic Fangio. Okay, fine. And Nagy has a losing record without that, but Nagy still has a better record without the 2018 season than guys like Mark Tressman and John Fox. So, and obviously Matt Eberflus. So we've continually seen coaching staffs that just underperform. I thought John Fox brought in a tremendous coaching staff. You know, he brought in Fangio and, and Adam Gase and, and, and a few other guys that I really like positional coaches. I love Stan Drayton was the running back coach at the time. And even when you have a strong coaching staff, it still finds ways ways to fall apart here. But, you know, forgetting the historical aspect of it, Matt Eberflus continues to, to just not perform, not rally this team, not have this. This team just came out flat again today. And, and I just don't understand how you're – I get it. There's a little bit of an extra layoff, but you got to start building momentum. As a head coach, you know, if you're – forget the defense. We can get to that in a minute. As the CEO of this team, you've got to rally this team. You've got to stack plays and wins and, and get this team motivated to play together. And it's just something that he just struggles with. And, and I'll be honest, when I see Matt Eberflus on the sidelines, when I see him at the podium, and, and I know these guys are professionals and they should be playing for whoever, but I have a hard time if I'm a 24, 25-year-old athlete looking at Matt Eberflus as a guy that I am just going to just, you know, rally behind and play for. Like he just, he just doesn't have that energy. You know, Mike Tomlin, you know, you may not, you know, say, you know, I know some people, I, I see some stuff on Twitter that Mike Tomlin's not the coach he used to be and everything. And maybe he's not, that's fine. But Mike Tomlin is going to have that locker room wanting to play as hard as they possibly can every week. He's a guy you will follow. And Matt Eberflus does not have that energy. He doesn't have Bart Tressman energy, but he certainly just does not have the type of energy and leadership that you need from that position, from that spot. It's funny that you said that. I was literally going to say Mark Tressman and bring that up because the Bears keep getting these head coaches. I'm putting Matt Nagy aside. I think he brought at times more juice and things like that. But when you kind of go back even to the success of a Lovey Smith, they keep getting these very even keel, low energy kind of guys. And if, and going back to Eberflus, and again, like you said, putting the defense aside for a second, you know, because his original goal was not to be in charge of the defense. His goal was to be CEO, culture guy, all that, da, da, da. what are you doing? What are you bringing? Like, what, what is the point of you? Because he's not the offensive guru like some of these other head coaches are. He wasn't supposed to be in charge of the defense. And so if you can't rally, if you can't motivate, what are you bringing to the table? And I would go and extend that to who's in charge, again, of this hiring and who's creating this. 
people tend to attract to people that they're like, right? It just is what it is. A lot of times you just enjoy being around people that you like. And I thought with this committee, right, that was putting together this list of head coach candidates to put in front of polls and all that, that that would change. But ultimately, when you look at the type of coach that was put in front of polls, I mean, we heard these top three guys, you know, it, it, they're all kind of the same. You, right. you didn't even you do an interview for a Mike McDaniels down with the Dolphins. Like, why is he not getting a dang interview? Because he doesn't necessarily fit the people that are interviewing, right? It doesn't fit the McCaskies and what they want and this just old school mom and pop shop. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, if you're a 24-year-old and you're listening, like you said, to Matt Eberfuss give you the pregame speech, I can imagine there's crickets when he's as he's giving, you know, this motivational part when they're trying when he's trying to get these guys to rally together. Because again, like you said, it was flat. Soldier Field, from what we've heard, was flat from the beginning. This should have been like, all right, let's we got a win last week. Let's keep the momentum rolling. But instead it was the exact opposite. It was just felt like we were coming off of that a week two loss versus right the win that they had the previous week. Yeah, and, and you bring up Mike McDaniel. I think it's – and it just shows the flawed process of, of the Bears with someone like Mike McDaniel, who's obviously having a lot of success with Miami. And, and I saw something I, – I don't remember if it was on TikTok or Twitter, but like Mike McDaniel speaking to an official before the game. The official came over just to kind of do the little pregame talk. Hey, you know, make sure you speak with the line judge. He'll get my attention if you need to talk to me. Kind of just going through the things that officials do with the head coaches before the game. And Mike McDaniel goes, oh, I'm not worried about any of that. I'm just here for friendship. Right. And he has he has some fun with him. And, you know, he says, you know, I could never do your job. I don't know how you guys do it. And the official goes, well, you know, I couldn't be a head coach either. And he goes, well, then we chose the right professions. Right. Like Mike McDaniel's just having fun. And I bring that up because, like, you know, you say, Mike McDaniel, how is he not interviewed? And I agree. But I also sit there and go, if Ted Phillips, Bill Polian, uh, you know, sat down and interviewed Mike McDaniel and just tried to engage in with him and try and get his vision and everything they would be sitting there looking at him cross-eyed they'd be like who is this guy they wouldn't even understand who he is as a coach you just and that's why that process is so flawed you know and that's not to say ernie of course he wasn't a wildly successful general manager in the nfl he was bill polian was a wildly successful general manager you know bill polian besides the colts also built up the bills teams the jim kelly bills teams that was bill polian too if people don't realize that like wildly successful but the man's in his 80s you know that he hasn't been in the league for 10 or 15 years whatever it was continually trying to find coaches this way and i don't know how much trace armstrong was pulling the strings back there because both ryan poles and matt eberflus are clients of trace armstrong i don't know how much pull he had but you need a president a general manager whoever it is and that's why we're all crossing our fingers that Kevin Warren can finally do things the right way in Chicago. But we don't know if he will. It's just a wild card right now. That the process the Bears go through to try and put together, you know, a coaching staff and a front office is continually flawed. And it was this year. And Ryan Poles, I think, you know, we we I think 99% of Bears fans agree the process that Ryan Poles did in terms of shedding bad contracts getting more draft capital. The process is sound with Ryan Poles. The evaluations are what's questioning right now with Ryan Poles. And we're going to certainly continue to look at that throughout the rest of this year. But again, you just, you, you, you have almost an arranged marriage again here with Eberflus and Poles. It's just the type of thing that just doesn't create synergy at Hallis Hall. And now we're sitting here Six games into the season, the Bears are at one and five. I mean, the season's basically over. I, I hate to say things like that, but I mean, this team has to get to nine and eight if they're going to be competitive, which means they need to go, you know, eight and three at this point the rest of the way. And with some difficult games still coming up, that's almost imp an impossibility at this point. So now we're sitting here, it's mid October, and, you know, we rode high for 10 days after finally getting a win. And now we're right back to where we were without a lot of hope. And now we're sitting here going, we need to get rid of this coaching staff. But if we get rid of this coaching staff, that would be, could mean the end for Justin Fields. We, you know, a lot of us still want Justin Fields here and, and have an opportunity to grow, but he's tied to a terrible coaching staff now. Like everything is so flawed and such a mess that you just don't know even how to get out of this and have positives for 2024. And it's October of 2023, Mason. It's pretty remarkable that you can have so much of these negative feelings so early in a season uh, and with really no chance of hope where in you know, even in some previous years, you've had the stupid in the hunt graphic that they like to put up and the Bears are always just like kind of in the hunt, especially when they added that extra playoff spot. 
that's just not the reality of where they're at right now. Like you said, right? Right now, the best they can try to do is to try to figure out what the heck they need to do to do to fully revamp what is happening around here. And I mean, I'm one of the biggest pro Justin Field guys out there. And it just might be more of a, a timing issue at this point, especially, you know, being hitched to this unfortunate coaching staff, this unfortunate setup where he doesn't have enough time to be able to get to where else we need to get to before a decision has to be made for right fifth year option contracts, et cetera. There just might be too much that has to be fixed leading into it. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I think I say this basically every podcast I do, I want Justin Fields to succeed and I'm and I'm honest when I say this of my lifetime, there has not been a quarterback that I've wanted to succeed in Chicago more than him. I, I, I had that much hope. I really thought it was going to come together. And if Justin Fields isn't going to succeed here, unless somehow he ends up as the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings, I want him to succeed wherever he is whether he's in New Orleans or Atlanta or somewhere in the AFC, you know, with the Jets, wherever it might be, wherever he finds a place, I hope that he's successful and we as Bears fans can go, well, we 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 screwed that one up then clearly because he had the success that we all thought he could have once he left this mess. But, you know, kind of before we get to questions here, I do want to talk, we haven't talked about the defense. So I do want to talk about the defense a little bit. And there were some positives, and obviously 19 points allowed when one of them was a defensive touchdown. You'd sit there and say the defense played really well. Yeah, the defense was fine, but I didn't see a lot from the defense. You know, Tremaine Edmonds made a nice play there for the interception. You know, TJ Edwards had a couple big plays early. So there were some flashes from individuals. Yannick Ngakwe had got some pressure, some flashes from individuals. But as a collective unit, the 12 points they allowed defensively. I want to sit there and pat them on the back. And yes, they should get some credit and Eberflus should get some credit. But at the same time, Mason, I saw a Vikings offense that consistently shot themselves in the foot on a regular basis. When it dropped passes, bad throws, poor decisions, you know, it was a lot of unforced errors from this Vikings offense where I sit there and watch this team and go, yeah, they stink. This is a bad Minnesota Vikings team. This is, there's a reason they were one and four entering this game. They are not a good football team. And certainly they would have been better with Justin Jefferson out there. But when you don't have Justin Jefferson out there and you're looking at, at Madison with, with Cousins and, and, you know, Hawkinson's a fine tight end, you know, Addison's inexperienced. K.J. Osborne's a nice third wide receiver. He's not who you want as your second wide receiver. Not a lot of skills at the skill positions without Justin Jefferson there. And, and the Vikings offense to me just kind of looked like you would expect them to look without their best player, who's literally the best non-quarterback in the NFL. And to me, the defense was a benefit of some poor offensive play from the Vikings. Again, they didn't play terribly, but I don't think we should sit there and be like, wow, they only allowed 12 points. This was a great effort from the defense. Yeah, the defense did enough in theory for you to win this game if your offense could have gotten itself sure. together. However, like you said, they were handed a lot of stuff. Like, I mean, yes, they generated some pressure to allow Kirk Cousins to decide I'm going to throw a backwards pass, then almost give up a fumble. But you also didn't get recovered the fumble, right? And that's also kind of what you're expected to do. What they have two, and they also got what, two sacks today against an offensive yep. line that has struggled a bit. And the, the Minnesota Vikings have been for the last couple of years known for a pretty stout run game when they had Dalvin Cook there. Madison just isn't that guy. He He's very bleh and he's will continue to be bleh. And so when you're having a guy like a KJ Osborne and I believe Powell number four out there who is working your in theory CB one and, and Jalen Johnson, that's a problem. And is some of it schemed? Yes. I hate the bear scheme. I despise the bear scheme. It, it's old school. It's been revamped a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but it still is not modern NFL defense, what you, modern NFL defense is what you saw Brian Flores doing and just mad pattering all those blitzes and all that crazy stuff that it's just not enough at the end of the day. It just isn't, they don't get a pass. They get a pat on the back, like you said, but I need to see it more consistently and I need more flashes, right? We need more players to actually make game changing plays. There was a couple here and there, but not ultimately enough. Yeah, I actually honestly would say the defense played better against Washington when they gave up 20 points than they did in yeah. this game where they only gave up 12. 
And just a random side note because I can't get it out of my head. So I was watching the game with my better half, and she's not much of a football fan. She's only half paying attention. But for some reason, every time Madison got the ball, she would just say Alexander Madison, like Alexander Hamilton. And yeah. just she kept saying it. I couldn't now, now use every time I hear his name now. I, I can't get it out of my head. But <laughs> again, for those of you listening live, I appreciate it. You know, I see some comments coming in. We're going to get to those now. So if you got comments or questions, drop them in the comments section. We will discuss them now. And let's start here with Bearlissimo, who says that Tyler Scott played well. And I have to say, Tyler Scott had his best game as a pro. I don't think it was, you know, off the charts amazing. I want to see Tyler Scott be able to, you know, use that speed and get deep and, and stretch the field and do some things. I really thought he was going to be the kind of guy that came in for six, seven snaps a game and Justin Fields would always give him one deep shot. Like I kind of, that's the kind of where I felt Tyler Scott was, but it was good to see him getting involved in the offense. You know, he got some opportunities to catch footballs. He didn't drop thing, you know, didn't drop any balls, which, you know, he sit there and say, that's a minor thing, but that was an issue when he had opportunities in August. So good to see Tyler Scott getting involved in the offense and maybe something without Chase Claypool there, you know, the, you know, obviously ESB was, was injured here. You know, there's, you know, for three wide receiver sets, they need that extra guy to kind of step in and do some things. And I thought, you know, I I'm with you. Tyler Scott played well. I'd like to see some more opportunities for him, but nice to see him getting involved a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Exactly. So there's not much more to add there. I do wonder how much of that, because you saw most of that success later when Bajent was playing, you know, is it just the fact that Bajent and Tyler Scott had more time together, right? Because like you said, uh, Tyler Scott was much further down that depth chart. Field spent most of the summer trying to get on the same page with the DJ Moore, with the Chase Claypool. Uh, when Amy St. Brown obviously was the first man up when, when, once Claypool was, was straight away. So, you know, is there a bit of a lack of chemistry between a Fields and Tyler Scott that you're there trying to create on a fly that you saw maybe a little bit more with Bajent? Yeah. All right. Let's get over to Jericho Thomas here. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. This is, I want to kind of talk about, you know, conceptually yeah. moving forward for fans and, and, and what they should want. And Jericho Thomas says, so if Justin is out for some time, do we hope they lose and draft Caleb? All right. So here's what I'm going to say about this, because I don't want to spend a lot of time, you know, about tanking and, and everything. I would say to Bears fans, let Bears fans fan however they want to fan. We all know that this season is, is a mess. Like, no one's going to sit here and be like, oh, what are you talking about? They're going to beat the Raiders. They're going to upset the Chargers. Everything's going to be fine. Like, we we all understand where this is. If fans at this point are so frustrated that they want the Bears to lose out and get a new coach and Caleb Williams, that's fine. I don't think they're any less of a Bears fan if that's what they're cheering for. If you want to cheer for wins and you want this team to go 6-11 and 11 or 7-10, and 10, you know, and, and get some momentum going into next season and, and build up for Justin, fine. Cheer for that as well. That That's where kind of I am is I, I've seen a lot of hostility amongst Bears fans, amongst each other. You know, it's infighting about should they draft Caleb Williams? Should they keep Justin Fields? The bottom line is here, Jericho, we don't know how long Justin's out. We're not going to know for a couple days. So maybe he's out a game. Maybe he's back next game. Maybe he's out six weeks. We don't know the situation. So for me, I, I, I mean, look, if he's out a long period of time, it's going to be really hard for him. I mean, he's going to have to come back and, and look like Patrick Mahomes if he's going to keep his job, if he's out six weeks, you know, something like that and doesn't come back here until December. But if he's just out a couple games at this point with me, Mason, because I know you're a big Justin Fields fan and I've been, I, I try to be as objective as I get. We look, we all try to be objective when we, we analyze this team. Like I, I get the positives of, of Caleb Williams, despite his awful game against Notre Dame. I get the positives about sticking with Justin Fields. So for me at this point, I'm just going to tell Bears fans, fan however you want to fan, and we'll see where we're at in January. I'm at this point just going to sit back and let the season play out and see what happens, right? Like I'm not going to sit there and stress because the Bears win four games and you, you know, it reduces your chances at a Caleb Williams. I'm not going to sit there and stress because at this point, Justin does come back next week and looks bad like he did today before he got hurt. I'm just going to let whatever happens happens because at this point in time, there's only so much emotional <laughs> energy I can keep putting into this from that perspective. And honestly, it's there's nothing that I do that's going to affect it too. So in terms of what you want to hope they do, like ultimately you hope that pieces look better. 
You hope that DJ Moore keeps being DJ Moore. You hope that uh, uh, Tevin Jenkins stays healthy and could potentially be a part of your future. You hope that these players on defense that were brought in, whether it's through the draft and a Dexter and a Pickens through the draft, or um, some of the free agents you brought in and a Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards, that they can keep producing and looking like a good team. Because whoever ultimately is at quarterback for you next year, you need those players to be good. You need those players to ascend. So really you're hoping for these pieces. Yeah, and, and here's what I would say say to Bears fans, regardless of whether you're cheering for Fields or you want Caleb Williams, whatever, irrelevant. For as fans as a whole, you should, and it doesn't matter if you're cheering for, for losses or wins right now at this point for the Bears, but Caleb Williams and Drake May, you should want them to be as good as possible. Because if the Carolina Panthers give the Bears the first or second pick, and they lost today to Miami, even despite jumping out 14-0, the, uh, the, the Dolphins scored, I think, 42 straight points after that. So the, the, the Panthers are bad. And there was a report that came out, I think it was yesterday, that the Panthers looked like they might be planning to sell off some pieces you know, over the next few weeks. That's fantastic news for the Bears. The worse that team is, the better. There's no guarantee they're going to have the number one pick, but they certainly look like they are going to give the Bears a top three pick. No matter how many wins the Bears get, they're going to have a top three pick. So for the, the best thing for the Bears is for Caleb Williams and Drake May to be really good because I saw plenty of Bears fans ripping into Caleb Williams because they're Justin Fields fans, and that's fine. I even saw some ripping into Drake May and talking and making him the next Mitch Trubisky. Like, to me... You want these guys to be so good because if the Bears forget the number one pick, you know, let's say the Arizona or New England gets the number one pick, they take Caleb Williams. It's not even on the radar. The number two pick, like you want the decision to say, do we take Marvin Harrison with this selection or do we have a giant package from another team that wants to trade up for Drake May? And we and, and maybe we can't get Marvin Harrison, but we could get Fashanu or, or one of you know Brock Bowers or one of these other really highly talented players. So you the best thing for the Bears is for that one those first two picks, assuming they are going to be Williams and May, to be as valuable as possible. Because look what Ryan Poles was able to do with the number one pick for Bryce Young. And everyone right now who's an expert is saying that May and Williams are both better prospects than Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. And DJ Moore and a future first round pick because of the fact that they had the number one pick. So if they are in that position again, Mason, you want these guys to perform well. It's not Justin Fields versus Caleb Williams. It's if Caleb Williams is good, whatever the Bears decide to do, it's better for the Bears, the, the better he can perform at, at you know the season at USC. Exactly. You want all of your assets to keep gaining value. I don't care if your asset you're talking about is, you know, the first what your, your two picks you're going to have or your asset you're talking about is just fields. You want all of those values to keep going upward because ultimately that's just the best business for you going forward. All right. And I'm just going to quick second here on Sean Richards, who says the front office should be honest with fans and let us know that we are tanking to have the one and two picks in the draft. That That is not the case, Sean. One, again, the Panthers, whatever they do is what the Panthers do. This team did not set out this year to try and have the number two pick. Now, if they are sitting there at two and 12, you know, and they've got three games to go and suddenly we see them sit Justin Fields down for Nathan Peterman or something, those type of things can happen. You know, Justin Fields did not play in week 17, or I guess it was be week 18 last year for a reason. Was he banged up? But Justin Fields also said in interviews at the Super Bowl that he could have played. So Justin Fields sat because the Bears knew if they lost and the Texans won, they'd have the number one pick. I'm confident that that was the case, but in no way is this team in October trying to gear up for the first and second pick. They are still, you know, this, this is a coaching staff that knows they're on the hot seat. Ryan Poles does not know his future with this franchise. This is a franchise that wants victories right now. Yeah. Players don't tank. Coaches don't tank. Front offices do sometimes, but like you said, that's not the case. The, the Bears wanted wins. The owners want wins. It just so happens that they're just not good at coaching. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to do one more comment here, and that is Cornelius Squalls, who says, I nominate Brian Flores as the next Bears head coach. I think that's an interesting comment, just because a lot of Bears fans I've seen lately have said that they're sick and tired of the brand new head coach, that they want a head coach with experience. Something like John Fox, obviously he had experience, didn't work out there, but a guy that has had some level of success. 
Ryan Flores, of course, just did a, a pretty good job here on an offense that was clicking the last couple of weeks. And he did kind of get a, a rough deal there in Miami, you know, before they, they let him go. But I will say this, from what I have heard about people, Brian Flores is a tough guy to have around, I'll just say Hallis Hall, you know, around your practice facility. He likes things his way. He doesn't really like to listen to other alternatives. You know, you, you can like him as a head coach. He's a hard-nosed guy. He, he's definitely, he's a smart defensive guy. There are plenty of positives with, with, uh, with Flores and a guy that I really wanted them to consider as a head coach previously. But I have heard some things that he's not the easiest guy to have. And we just talked about earlier in this podcast, wanting to have the GM and head coach have some good synergy because that's what's best for a franchise moving forward, especially this franchise. I don't know if you'd get there with Brian Flores. Yeah, ultimately when last year we were kind of putting together our rankings of head coach candidates and GM candidates, Brian Flores was number one on my list for a lot of the reasons you just said, head coach experience. I think he got a bit of a bad rub with Miami, a very smart guy, you know, a no-nonsense guy that can control a locker room. But, you know, at the end of the day too, you know, these are adults. I mean, we've all had bosses that while they might be very good at what they, their job we don't like working for them or with them because they do tend to be a bit abrasive, you know, and that's something that, that, that really is going to ultimately impact this. My other question would be, who are you bringing on along as your offensive coordinator? He had some problems with that in Miami, you know, a lot of changing of that seat. Like I would, if I'm interviewing, if I'm Ryan Poles and Brian Flores is, is interviewing with me, I would have to have a lot of questions answered and you had need to have a very solid plan of how you're going to fill that. Yeah, because here, here's what I would say beyond that with Brian Flores, and you brought up the offensive coordinator situation. Whether, you know, if Matt Eberflus has gone after this season, and it certainly seems like it's trending that way, whoever the next coach of the Bears is, and it doesn't matter whether they're coaching Caleb Williams, Drake May, or Justin Fields, whoever the QB1 is for the Chicago Bears in 2024, I really, really want an offensive head coach to be the Bears head coach you know, Johnson in Detroit is a guy that I really like. That's the kind of guy I'm circling right now as a possibility. I want, because here's what I want for the, whether it's Justin Fields or a new quarterback, I want stability. Like Luke Getze, let's just say that Justin Fields was amazing this year, had, you know, almost MVP caliber numbers and everything was great. Luke Getze's gone, right? He takes a head coaching job because of the, because of Justin Fields' performance this year. And now you know, whether they bring in someone new or they're promoting their QB coach, Jonico, whatever it is, it's much tougher to keep stability on offense when you have a defensive head coach, because every time your offensive coordinator puts together a great season, there's a chance they're leaving as a head coach. And I think it's a lot easier to have stability on the defensive side of the ball with your defensive coordinator changing because, you know, especially if you can keep the same kind of defensive mindset and scheme, you may, it may, you know, you may not have as good of a defensive play caller. It could, you could get hurt there. I'm not saying it's, you know, it's a slam dunk, but offensively, like the idea, you know, of having Matt Nagy with Mitch Trubisky, like if that marriage would have worked and Nagy is going to stay with him, that makes more sense to me. That's what I'm looking for. So Brian Flores, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of the positives he has, but the negative being he's a defensive-minded coach, he's going to have to bring in an offensive coordinator who, if that offensive coordinator does really well, they leave. And if they don't do well, then you're changing over. Then it's Jay Cutler with a new offensive coordinator every year, doesn't have the stability to grow in a system. So to me, this next coach of the Chicago Bears really should be an offensive-minded head coach. That's that's my preference. I mean, I would agree with you there. I think la the last coaching cycle there wasn't really that offensive guy to lean towards and hence why i think why they shifted away from it plus the bears seem to like to do the overreact and so you have a defense guy offensive guy defense guy offensive guy every other year um a good example is going to be the texans what are they going to do because their offensive coordinator might actually be moving on with what's happening with cj sure. stroud so now can D'Amico ryan's continue that magic when you don't have maybe the guy that was helping Stroud, Stroud along. So that's like just something I'm not super comfortable with. So I would agree. I would probably prefer someone who can instill their offensive identity and culture and to be able to maintain that consistently. All right. To wrap up, we'll just kind of do some final thoughts here. Thank you, everybody who commented. Thank you, everyone who's listening live. We, we appreciate you uh, more than you can possibly imagine. But, you know, final thoughts here, Mason. To, to me, disappointment. Like if I was just going to give one word, that that's what this felt to me because, you know, 
it doesn't take much for the Bears fan base to get some life, you know, breathed into it and get get excited. And, you know, we, we saw the build, right? We had the, the, the performance from the Broncos game. They still couldn't quite get over the top. Then they put it together for the Washington game. You, you know, the, the secondary is getting healthy. Like things, the stars were aligning for to sit here and go, all right, they're one and four, but they're getting healthy. They beat the Vikings. That's two wins. They beat the Raiders. That's three wins. Three and four, like suddenly you know, even with the Chargers game, then it's the Saints. That's not impossible. The Panthers, like you look at the schedule and go, well, if they're five and five, that's not an impossibility, right? We, we as Bear fans, because we're, we cling to the positives because there's never that many, like you could see the path to relevance and to see them play like this again. Now I guess, sure, they could beat the Raiders next week, but again, you know, is that going to get you excited when the Chargers are sitting there? This is the team I look at and go, well, this team can't beat the Saints. The team that showed up against Washington can, but the team that showed up today can't beat the Saints. Sure, they could beat the Panthers, but if they're sitting there at, you know, three and seven, the, the, that schedule gets tougher with a couple games against Detroit. They're, you know, it's a little tougher there the last, you know, six, seven weeks of the season. So to me... You know, when I think about, you know, what's my reaction to this game, it's disappointment because they, they had an opportunity to build on something and they regressed in almost every spot on the football field and looked a lot more like the team that lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers than the team that beat the Washington Commanders. When the bullets start flying, people tend to go back to what they're comfortable with, right? And that seems exactly what happened here, where whether you're talking about the scheme and what Getty called, whether you're talking about Justin and his footwork, his mechanics and his vision, or even you can argue lack thereof, at times you go back to your, your, back to your basics, you go back to what's locked in. And right now, this is what the Bears basics are, right? This is what their fundamentals are. And that's an inherent problem with this team. Now, going forward, is there still some like opportunity for silver linings? 100%. But as of right now, like you said, disappointment is is the key word here. All right. So for those of you who listen here live, appreciate you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Of course, plenty to come on the Windy City Gridiron podcast channel and the Second City Gridiron YouTube page all week. You're going to have Baron Balanced on Monday. You'll have my Bears banter coming in on Wednesday. Of course, you'll have um, you know uh, Bears Over Beers with EJ and Jeff and of course Mason's bare bones and finish that off with, uh, with mate, uh, with, uh, with Taylor and making monsters. I'm not sure who she's got this week, but always an intriguing angle with her, you know, kind of highlighting players and T formation conversation. So we'll have plenty of bears content all week. Hopefully you're going to want to hear it after this one, but, uh, but I'm sure we'll have more answers about what's going on with Justin Fields, and I'm sure Mason can expand upon that on Bare Bones this Thursday, so make sure you're tuning in there. Mason, appreciate uh, you joining this one again. I really had hopes we were going to have a really positive positive game here to talk about, but unfortunately, like you said earlier, they bared it up, but thank you for joining anyway. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I actually had another hat set aside that I was going to wear. It was my more celebratory hat, and I had to go to the closet and get the upside down side one. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Hang in there. We'll, 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 it'll get better at some point. Maybe not in our lifetimes, but at some point it'll get better for this team. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Adios. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.